0: This episode
1: of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Aloe Recovery, located in sunny Southern California, in Silver Lake, and Malibu, and one spot on the west side of Los Angeles. Aloe was created by our friend Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob, to create a facility that treats alcoholism and drug addiction with connection and compassion rather than control. They have Decades of experience in treating drug addiction, alcoholism, and co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness. They have amenities you wouldn't believe. Surfing, sound bath meditation, yoga, fucking equine therapy. They make a detox that's as comfortable as possible, which we all know is crucial when getting well. So, if you're fucked... And you're willing to go to sunny Southern California To get healthy I highly recommend going to Aloe This episode of Dopey Is also brought to you By a great recovery podcast Called Recovery in the Middle Ages A podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads And their pursuit of life, love, and recovery Listen as they discuss current topics of interest To the recovery community Including 12-step Alt Recovery, the newest medical research, and talk about their daily struggle to maintain their recovery and anonymity in the world of soccer moms and PTA meetings, if the neighbors only knew. Find Recovery in the Middle Ages everywhere you find your podcasts, and at re- MiddleAgesRecovery.com. That is MiddleAgesRecovery.com. I was recently on it. Check it out. They did a very thorough, thorough, nice job. Middleagesrecovery.com. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our new sponsor, Amend Apparel. Amend Apparel is a recovery streetwear brand that was started in 2019 after noticing a lack of good design and cool ideas in the recovery apparel market. They have a wide range of products such as hats, t-shirts, and hoodies for men and women all relating to recovery and what it takes to stay off drugs and alcohol. The designs range from subtle to loud. Pretty too offensive, and some are even customizable with your own clean date. Everything you've always wanted in the recovery-based clothing brand. Some of the profits are donated to different recovery-based charities, so know that your purchase goes to help a good cause. You can check them out at amendapparel.com and get an ultra-exclusive 15% off anything in the store by using the code DOPEY when checking out on their website. Now that you feel good, why not look good, too? With Amanda Apparel, I'm going to buy that shit. So should you. And finally, this episode of Dopey is brought to you by listeners like you in the Dopey Nation. I don't know how to put this in a way that people aren't going to mock me for it, but when you guys support Patreon, it makes Dopey better. It makes it possible that the dream of Dopey can be reality. So if you get anything out of Dopey, Kick some money to Dopey Patreon. We've got interviews. We did a video last week. There's music. There's tons of stuff. If you benefit from Dopey, kick down a couple bucks to Dopey Patreon, and I really appreciate it. I'm not going to say that I need to quit my job or anything, but it makes my life easier. It makes Dopey better. And in other news, there's amazing gear at the Dopey store at dopeypodcast.com. The Nick shit is fire, as they say in the street. I'm sure maybe some old people are still saying that shit is fire in the street. And the Knicks have just won eight straight, so buy the Dopey Knicks shit. There's great hoodies. We're teamed up with some recovering addicts out of Cincinnati, Ohio, called SRO Prince, so go to dopeypodcast.com. I have a bunch of hats. Uh, hit me up. I've got black and white snapbacks, blue and red snapbacks, blue and orange snapbacks, oy hats. There are some new Dopey not snapbacks hats on the dopey store so just buy some dopey gear enjoy the spring enough of the ads here's the fucking show Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave, and I've made a terrible decision and judgment. Co-hosting on the show today is none other than my
2: father, Alan. Welcome to the show. Well, hello. Hi, everybody. I Co-hosting. Let's not use that term. Let's say I'm just here for the ride. Guest hosting. (laughs) And I have a...
1: I'm having you on the show in this capacity because something insane happened yesterday. And you're part of the story. Really? So I want you to be a part of the story. Wow, what what happened? Something
2: insane happened. Oh, boy. Is that good or bad? I don't know. Insane doesn't sound good.
1: I would guess it's neither good nor bad, but I will paint a picture. It's early in the morning, and I've parked the car at 7.50 on 26th Street and 7th Avenue. And I'm heading downtown to the Lower East Side on 7th Avenue. Mm. And as always, I'm enjoying the walk, looking around. And you know those buildings on 22nd Street that are dilapidated and abandoned? And one side was apartment buildings that don't exist. And the other side was kind of a cafe covered with like anarchist stickers and crazy art. I see a guy who's painting a mural on the um, side of that place. And I, if you know anything about me, I've been on the hunt for a dopey mural for years, right? Yes. And and here I am, and I see the guy painting a mural. Why are you looking at me
2: like that? I'm
1: concentrating. You're looking at me like you think I'm high or something. You no. Give me, you give me that look. Anyway, so I see... I, I I see the dude, and, and I'm on the phone, and I am like, I, I got to get off the phone. I'm I'm very interested to talk to the guy painting because rarely when you see a mural with graffiti, do you see the person doing it, right? So this is graffiti he's putting on. He's putting up a mural, a full a full wall. He's got the full wall, okay. and he's just there, like kind of doing little little edges of it, and um. So I approach the guy, and I say, "Hey, man." are you doing, is this your mural? And he says, yes. And I said, uh, I have a podcast. I want a mural. And he says, okay. And I go, my podcast is about drug addiction and drugs and, and dumb shit. And he goes, okay. And uh, and I said, I'm a drug addict in recovery. I don't know, like, it's weird. Like, he he's like very nonplussed about anything I have to say. Right. And I'm saying more than I should say, probably. Yes. And then he, then he looks at me. And he says, Where are you from? And I said, I'm from here. And he said, Well, where 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 do you live? I said, Well, I live on Long Island. He goes, Well, where where did you where do you used to live? And I said, Well, I used to live on the Lower East Side and I, I grew up in this neighborhood. And he goes, Where did you live in this neighborhood? And I said, And he goes, Did you live in the co op? He says. Wow. And I said, Yes. And he said, take your mask off, he says. Wow. Who is that masked man? You know, take your mask off. So I, yeah. I take off my mask, and he goes, holy shit. And he takes off his mask. Yeah. And you know who he was?
2: I am afraid to ask. Who was he?
1: When I lived on 24th Street. Yes. He was a drug dealer who lived across the hall, and he kept his safe in my apartment. and Because he, he didn't want to ever have girls in the apartment because he'd have drugs, and he didn't want anyone to know that he was selling drugs. He was living in your building. He was living across from his friend. Was living across from my apartment, and he kept his drugs there. Then he 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 met me, and he asked me if he could keep a safe full of drugs in my apartment. And I said, "This is
2: not a good meeting."
1: I said, "For money or for drugs?" And he said, "He said he said I, he said we all thought you were dead." He said. First thing he said was, we saw them take your shit out of the apartment. And no, after you left, when they cleaned out the rest of the shit. And he said, I took some paintings home, blah, blah, blah. It turned out this kid, whose graffiti name is Say No, as in Say No to Drugs, was a drug addict who got sober. And he's five years sober now. He is not a kid, though. No, he's like 40 years old. But he was a kid when I knew him. Then he, tells me, then, then he tells me that they all thought I was dead and that they all called me slam. And I figured they called me slam because I would shoot heroin. But no, they called me slam because every time I went into the apartment, I would slam the door. That's right. And I was so loud. And um, then he told me that they were sure I had died. Then he told me that one time he came to, into the apartment... You know, he went to the apartment, and he sees you in there cleaning up the apartment. That's right. And he says, says, oh, and then you're crying cleaning up the apartment. And you said, you, come in here, you say to this kid. Really? And you say, I need you to help me clean the apartment. And he goes, okay. Okay. And this is that crazy story,
2: Dad, where you well, had to clean out the apartment. I Listen, I re- certainly remember cleaning out the apartment. I don't remember asking Buddy there to help me, though that's possible. And I don't understand how he walked out with a painting. What was that all no, about? No, the painting was in the garbage, and he just ah, took it out of yes, the garbage. yes, yes. But
1: he... He the safe full of drugs was in the apartment while you were in the apartment, and I think he saw it as his opportunity to get his drugs back. Um. So you invite him into the apartment to clean the apartment. Then he says he has to go I to the bathroom. Have, maybe
2: I asked him. I may. I said, "Would you like to get paid to help me with?" Well, maybe. Maybe I was trying to get help and was going to pay him. Maybe that's the. Maybe that's. The well, you you don't remember any of it. I start listen. The part of you were distraught. Destroyed. I well, I told the dopey nation the story of me cleaning the apartment, it was pretty awful. Very bad story, anyway. So, this that's amazing. So, this that's what this guy does. does so, more. then yeah. he
1: says that when you were in the apartment, he grabbed a blanket, threw it over his safe, oh. went into the bathroom, took all of his drugs out of the safe. I think maybe he helped you clean a bit, and then he said you were crying. And how bad he felt. And then he left. And then later, when the maintenance guy was there, they told him that I had died. And him and his friends uh, thought I had died. And the craziest thing was that I wouldn't have remembered this guy in a million years. Mm. And he remembered me and thought I was
2: dead. Well, when you took off the mask, he re- he I mean, said he recognized my eyes and my voice. Right, but you didn't recognize him, did you? Did you recognize- even when he took off the
1: mask? No. I had, a, I I could see it. I I have such a bad memory, though. I, I have a real hard time recognizing people. Well, it's probably all the
2: drugs I did. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, yeah, that could be. That could be a reason. However. So the the conversation kept going, and... He has
1: five years clean. Yeah. His graffiti name is Say No, as in Say No to Drugs. Maybe he'll do a mural for Dopey, and maybe he'll come on Dopey. I got like 20 blocks away when I realized I should have recorded the meeting. Yeah. And then I I called him, and he said he wouldn't do it. Oh, because he was—he had been up all night painting. Does,
2: does he just find a wall somewhere? No,
1: he knew the owner of the building, and so he had in got other permission.
2: words, this could be because there's a little controversy about. This. Stickers for the Dopey Nation. This, whatever the sticker gate, whatever, whatever you came up with, sticker gate, slap, slap, slapping. That wasn't on.
1: me. That was somebody in the Dopey Nation. Well, anyway, I came up with sticker gate twenty twenty one. I don't
2: want a mural gate. I mean, if you're going to do a dopey mural, it should be you know officially where it's approved by the owner, et cetera. It would be very, very nice to have a mural.
1: What is your opinion? I mean, that's something that I haven't really talked about on the show, yeah. which is that through the passion of the Dopey Street Team. Uh, Scott Wick, who's yeah. one of the big, uh, muckety mucks in the Dopey Nation, came up with the idea to have everyone put up stickers to count to number 300 in honor of the 300th episode, which is coming up. Um, a couple of people in the Dopey Nation got their feathers ruffled because it, as we all know, it's illegal to put up stickers,
2: Uh, And obviously, in certain places, it's certainly illegal. It's not. It's uh, illegal
1: to put up a sticker on anything that's not yours. And if you know this or you don't know this, I got arrested putting up an Oy vey sticker on the corner of...
2: Uh, I thought that was a story you made up.
1: No, it's true. I
2: thought that that was your story to me because you didn't want to tell me what really No, happened.
1: I'll tell you what... You want to hear what really no, happened? No, I, I don't know. That is it,
2: one of my favorite stories. Oh, oh,
1: I'm leaving.
2: Yeah, okay, we're going to hear it then, I guess. Dopey yes.
1: Nation. This is I if you're putting up stickers, be, be careful. Oh, okay. I want the Dopey Nation to be careful. Some of you might have heard this story. Some of you might have not heard this story. I was newly sober. I probably had... Two months clean, maybe a month clean, maybe mm. three. I don't know. It was early on, and uh, maybe more. Who knows? It was early on.
2: Yeah, maybe I was, don't know. Yes,
1: I was playing with my band at the time, and we had a rehearsal set up that day. And I had started my Oy Vey business, which was very little business. We had some T-shirts and and stickers, and we sold some T-shirts, and uh, and I wanted to put stickers up everywhere because I thought they were cool. And I was walking home from Katz's putting up oive stickers on the lower east side. And I put up an oive sticker, I want to say on the corner of Norfolk and Rivington Street. Yes. And a cop comes over and arrests me. <laughs>
0: fucking arrest fucking
1: arrests me. He he said, What are you doing? I said, Oh, I put up this sticker. He fucking arrested me, handcuffed, threw me in a car, took me to jail for putting on the sticker putting up one oive sticker so this is
2: a bad, this is <laughs> he, an bad he thing. he
1: puts me in the police car he takes me to the jail on uh wherever the precinct is in the holding cell oh. throws me in there and uh, do you remember i had i had guilted you into buying me a bronx zoo hooded sweatshirt yes with nora one time when we went to the bronx zoo true and uh, i'm wearing i have a nice winter jacket and i have my bronx zoo hoodie and in the cell next door there was a 16 year old girl who got arrested stealing someone's winter jacket in her high school. Oh, you did tell me the story. And Yay. she and she had been jealous and stolen uh, the the jacket, and she was like 16. And they wouldn't. Then she wanted to go, and and the cop said that she could leave. I was there for like four hours for an Ove sticker, and the cop said she could go, but she had no one to pick her up. And she wouldn't leave because she was scared because she lived in the Bronx or Harlem or something. And she was scared to go. And the guy's like, listen, if you don't go now, you're going to spend the night in jail. And she didn't have a jacket. And it was like 20 degrees. So what did I do? I gave her the Bronx Zoo hoodie. Wow. The most selfless act of my life. The one I bought you. I think you should buy me a new one. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so Dopey Nation, if you're putting up stickers. Beware. Be aware. Be careful. Be cautious. And wh- how
2: crazy is the mural thing? Well, listen, the mural, what would you? What exactly would you have on it? I mean, what There's, would be the purpose of it?
1: I am in talks now with three muralists, two muralists in New York, one of which was the drug dealer who used to put his stuff in my apartment. Yeah. The other one is a very famous muralist on the Lower East Side, and another one is a muralist in Cincinnati. This is my new big thing. Before Dopey dies, I want Dopey
2: murals, art. And I think they're going to say, spread love, the dopey way. And, but how, and is there going to be some, like, a website on there? I mean, is there a way of uh, no. of them? Con- no. How you, what do you mean? It's, we don't not put,
1: g- it's not, listen, you don't think artistically. You I'm can't not, put websites on I murals. I don't treat That's not yeah. how you do it. But what, how crazy is it that this is one of my favorite, for whatever reason, this story of, of the dude who kept his shit in my apartment, yeah. I always found that to be a crazy story. In general, that there was and a. And got, he got it out. Somehow he got the stuff out. He got it out under the, your nose
2: with me standing. There. Under your nose, isn't that's that? How, that's how much I know. You don't what's think that's on. an incredible story? Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Now, th- th- you mean he? You may get in a mural
1: in Cincinnati. I want dopey murals everywhere. I'm also in talks with a few artists in California, but I think it's too expensive.
2: Well, I mean. Oh, they're not going to do it for the love of dopey then. In other words, you got to pay these guys, huh? Of course I'm going to pay them. you got to pay for everything. Ah. What don't you pay for? The air you're breathing? Uh, I don't know. The sun is shining, looking out at the sky. You don't pay for the that. The
1: guy in Cincinnati offered to do it for free, but I said, no, we have to pay him. Oh, all right. You have
2: to. Listen, these artists need, need money.
1: Artists sure. need support. Absolutely. But are you not blown away by that story?
2: I think it's amazing. It's amazing that he even recognized you with your eyes and your voice and then and it's, it is. It's then he amazing. took my
1: picture, sent it to one of his old drug dealing friends named Doug and he wrote back from the dead. Wow. Isn't that amazing?
2: Well, yeah.
1: And the fact is that he's clean too is also amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So this week on the show, yes. we have cat behaviorist author and TV star, not to mention Jew from the Upper West Side, Jackson Galaxy. Yeah,
2: that no, uh, exact, exactly. That's not his real name. I think it is. It, it, he was born. No, his Jackson- real name
1: I found out is Richard Kirschner.
2: Oh, okay.
1: But he changed his name to Jackson Galaxy because he was a a big time musician. And he was uh, like a weirdo musician guy in the 90s or whatever.
2: But that's his real name now? As in, He's uh... changed
1: his name to Jackson Galaxy. Cat guy, cat behaviorist, cat
2: doctor, whatever. Cat shrink. He... Yeah, well, um, anybody who has a cat certainly needs a shrink, yes. I, I, I listen, I don't have good experiences with cats.
1: Well, enough enough with the talk. Yes. If you need a shrink and you're really looking to get some help, I have to suggest checking out
2: betterhelp.com. That was a good segue though, right? Yeah, you really snuck that in there very well. You know, it is amazing that you met that guy. I mean, this is, and of course I don't remember. It's like almost 20 years ago. But well, now, now you're going to
1: interrupt the ad to, to be amazed about no, that? No,
2: uh, I mean, it was it's amazing. And the guy who was taking his drugs right under my nose also, I guess I was busy cleaning. And, and weeping. That's yeah. the
1: be- That's the best part of the story is that he pilfered the drugs right from under you. Who knows what other family heirlooms he might have taken out of that place. Now, Dad, what interferes
2: with your happiness? Well, being alone sometimes does. Not being healthy, hurting my shoulder. All right, I'm not really. That's things. a rhetorical well, you're, question.
1: You're, oh, you don't want the answer then. Is something preventing you from meeting your goals? Better help will assess Oh, this your... is an... I'm in the middle of the ad now. Is that it? it can you just let me do that? Yeah, do the ad. Better help will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You connect in a safe and private online environment. It is incredibly convenient, and you can start communicating in under 24 hours. It is not self-help. It is professional counseling. You send a message to your counselor anytime. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. You can do this all without having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room, and it is, of course, totally um, anonymous, and totally confidential is the word I'm looking for. They are licensed professional counselors who are capable of dealing with loneliness, <laughs> anxiety, fear, <laughs> lack of memory. All the stuff that I saw. Relationships, <laughs> sleeping issues, trauma, anger, family conflicts, lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer matters, grief, self-esteem issues. Remember, it's all confidential. It is affordable. So many people uh, get help using BetterHelp, so check it out. If you listen and you want 10% off, you get 10% off by visiting betterhelp.com slash dopeypodcast. Again, over 1 million people have taken charge of their mental health, and that is betterhelp.com slash dopeypodcast. I would check it out. And now, the great... Jackson Galaxy from the Upper West Side via Los Angeles. But before we play Jackson Galaxy, I need to I need to be honest with you guys. I need to warn you. This is the disclaimer. The sound on Jackson Galaxy isn't perfect. It's got problems. And the reason it's not perfect is because I'm too afraid to open up the boxes of gear that I have. So just bear with me. Listen carefully. He's an amazing guest. I promise you next week I'm going to open up the new gear. Here is Jackson Galaxy.
3: Starbucks parking lot here because a gardener showed up at my house.
1: If that's okay with you, it's okay with me. I'm sorry to put you in the in the car. I'm all good. I'm all good. There's a beautiful glare coming down, so it looks like you're drenched in sunshine and heaven and shit.
3: I am drenched in the Los Angeles glory. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, I'm I'm totally jealous of you, man. I you, you know, you, you, I don't know if you know I'm a New Yorker. I haven't, I have not been home. This is the longest I've I've not been home ever in all my life. So it's been a little over a year. So it's
1: at the moment you're not missing out. I mean, the experience of being in New. I mean, because I grew up in Manhattan also. So like yeah. the experience of being in Manhattan during COVID in some ways is a lot like what it was like being in Manhattan when we were kids. Cause I think we're yeah. about the same age because things are like shut down and fucked up. Uh, the pro and that's exciting. You know what I mean? Cause Manhattan became so fucking boozy. Totally.
3: My cousin, my cousin called me and she's like, and she's, my cousin is like 70 now. And she was like, I, I don't remember the last time I heard the birds. Well, I walk down West End Avenue, <laughs> you know, so, uh, no, I just, yeah, I just, I, I, I need to go home and I need to get back. So it is what it is.
1: Come uh, home. It's still here.
3: Hey man, as soon as I, my, I'm getting my second shot in, what a week and then, yeah, man, it's on the, it's on the horizon.
1: I'm at my father's house right now. My father, uh, lives in Chelsea on 27th street. This is where I grew up and I live on Long Island now. And my day job is I work at Katz's Deli. So if you need anything, just let me know. I I do shipping and uh, special events. So if you want anything, I'll hook it up.
3: Man, if this was me like 15 years ago, I'm vegan now.
1: Oh yeah. That's awesome. I forgot about that.
3: Well, it's not awesome when, when sometimes, sometimes you crave, you know, cats is pastrami but i grew up like i grew up across the street from zabar's so you know
1: where'd you go to (laughs) high school uh columbia prep nice okay i went to i went to hunter and when i i would i would come up to 94th street and see all the kids going to columbia prep when i went across the park so and I,
3: I I failed the test to get into Hunter. Otherwise, I would have been there.
1: <laughs> you know how it is. I got into yeah. Hunter. I got into Hunter when I was four, and I think they asked me to leave when I was eleven, and I refused. I refused to leave, basically. <laughs> you know. So I don't know if yeah, you know. No, it was, yeah. I don't know if you know about our show. Our show is. I do. Oh, you do. Yeah. All right. Cool. research. Very cool. Very nice. So I'm going to introduce them. I'm just going to start. I'm going to give you a proper introduction. Yeah. I think you deserve a proper introduction. Thank you. Okay. Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And my name is Dave. And the, the cops are out in force in the neighborhood. I hear the sirens going by. So forgive us, Dopey Nation. We have a real TV star this week. I think we have definitely the first cat behaviorist ever on the show. He's a cat behaviorist. Cat boy, cat doc, TV star, sober alcoholic, sober recovering addict, and possible food addict, but we'll get into all that. His name is Jackson Galaxy. It's an honor to have you on the Zoom. How are you?
3: Thank you, Dave. You know what's funny is I hear the sirens and it makes me homesick.
1: Right. Of course. Of course. How long have you been out there?
3: Uh, I moved out here in 08, I believe. Yeah. Um, But... It's been a minute since I lived in. I mean, I grew up in New York, but it was way too expensive for me to live there any other time. So it's been a while since I was full-time.
1: See, now you could probably be bi-coastal, but where would you put the rooster is the question.
3: Well, I – oh, you know about the rooster. (laughs) We now have – we have two chickens. Um, He was going to be the third. We thought the things when you get them really little – you don't know if they're gonna be male or female until they're about seven weeks old or something like that. And we were just praying that it wasn't gonna be a boy. Because you know we live in the middle of LA. The cockadoodle-doo will get the cops on you and all that. And he turned out to be a boy, and he turned out to be we counted one day, and the record of cockadoodle-doos in one day was about 120. And uh So now he's at the most amazing rescue in the whole wide world waiting for adoption. We're trying to get him adopted now because, I mean, couldn't be in our house, man. His name is Salvador.
1: Well, I I lived in Echo Park for, I don't know, seven years. And there was a rooster next door crowing all fucking day, every day, probably like 100 times a day. And it just seemed like part of the culture. Um, How does it happen that a New York City Upper West Side kid becomes an animal guy like how does that even happen
3: you know it, I, it, I, it honestly i it was never on my radar like i i was not i loved animals but not in a way that like i was aware that i had a thing with them you know uh didn't even grow up with cats i had a dog um but um and i wanted to be a rock star and that was it man i mean from the time i was i can't even remember the first time where I was like, oh yeah, I want to be in front of an audience, you know? And uh, so it wasn't until I was living in Boulder, I had gone to you know, college and grad school and made my way across the country, wound up in Boulder. And, um, and I needed a job, you know? And I had worked every shitty job in Boulder, just horrible jobs. And a job came up, you know, scooping shit out of cages. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll take that. Um, and, and it was very soon after that that all my coworkers started making fun of me because all the cats were following me around. I mean, it was really that sort of cartoonish that I would sit down and the cats would just gather around me. And that's how it started.
1: Isn't that so crazy? I mean, I just... I read your book. I read Cat Daddy. I read it in in record time. I mean, I think you have like five books now. What happened was I'm embarrassed because... Um, We had a mutual friend who was like, oh, you should get this guy, Jackson Galaxy, on the show. I was like, definitely. Let's do it. And I start looking – reading about you and I see all your books and I figured Cat Daddy was a cat behavior book. And I was listening to you on another podcast and I was like, oh, fuck. It's a memoir. I need to read this thing fast. I I got it yesterday. (laughs) So like I've been I, I'm like speed reading, speed listening to your to your book, and it's a beautiful book, first of all. I really I really, really enjoyed it. Um the thing that I really I mean like because you talk about how music was you heard music and you knew that was your dream, right? And then you get this shitty job and, and you become the Pied Piper, the cat daddy, the cat boy, whatever. How does that even, but I'm going to ask you again, how does it happen? It just did. Like, was there anything in your head that said, maybe I'm interested in animals? Like, what was the thing that led you to the shitty job in the first place?
3: I just, I, 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 it was as simple as every shitty job I worked put me in contact with the worst of humanity. And I just, I was sick of people, man. And the other thing was you think, okay, the humane society I could be of some use somehow and maybe not just get a paycheck, but just be able to, you know, I don't know, just feel better about myself at night when I go to bed, you know. And, and, uh, and it was, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just that. And really the cat thing was more, believe me, I pushed back at every sort of cosmic turn because I know what I wanted out of life. You know, and I moved to Boulder just to have like a low cost, low pressure life where I could get a band together and make a run. You know, and um, and and the thing was that part of your job at this shelter, and this is the reality in most shelters, is that you know if there's killing that has to happen in that place, you're doing it. So when an opportunity presented itself to say, well, maybe you can not kill this cat. Maybe maybe you can actually get this cat adopted because of something that you're good at. That was it, you know what I mean? That just set me into that that place. Um, but I didn't release the idea of rock and roll for... Actually, the only thing that led me to have to was when, when my show started. Then I didn't have any time. I couldn't do it anymore, you know? So... Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much what got me. There. I, like I said, the, the the there was an opening there, like this sort of yeah, you know, a cosmic opening. And thankfully, it's one thing that I didn't fuck up. <laughs>
1: I think. I mean, I think that's awesome. I
3: fucked up everything else, man. I really did.
1: No, I get it. The thing that I'm taken with in that is that you were an addict, an alcoholic, active, you know, rocking out, playing shows, having fun, living the dream, and and not self-centered enough to not, not want to be of service. Like, I think that's interesting, like, that you had, like, some notion that you wanted to be of service when you're in active addiction, you know? Like, I think that probably set you up for recovery really nicely, that you had that built in. Yeah, no, that's a
3: great point. I... I I I don't remember. I I know. Yeah. No, because really at that point, when I got that job, I was, I was pretty bad. You know what I mean? And it got a lot worse. I mean, I I had the the curse of, you know, the quote high functioning addict, you know what I mean? Like that, that I fooled most of the people most of the time. And, um, uh, until I didn't, but, but yeah, no, I think you're right though. I think it was sort of a, a nice little nugget that got placed in there because as you saw in the book, I mean, honestly, and I know that people think that this is just like a, you know, a publicity talking point or whatever, but the, the honest to God truth is that if it wasn't for these moments of connection with these animals and, and wanting more and, and feeling a sense of, of, of of stewardship, I would absolutely have been dead 20 years ago. Absolutely positively, you know? Um, so paying off a cosmic debt.
1: (laughs) What was, how did you, when did you first know that you were an addict?
3: Well, I mean, you said it at the top and it's interesting. I mean, uh, it's just something I've been exploring more lately, um, because of circumstances, but I think food was, was my, is my primal is it's it's it my original so yeah no I mean I have very early memories and I would say some of my earliest memories were discovering the buzz around food you know I mean I grew up in a pretty volatile household at least that time and you know early and um, and it was just a way I I I remember, I remember feeling a buzz. I remember feeling okay through food Um, and a sense of um, sort of like a, everything's going to be all right type of vibe, you know? And, um, and yeah, food is the thing that, that has almost killed me as surely as drugs or alcohol, you know? I mean, Uh, and, and it's just been, it's been challenging, you know, over the past year, it's sort of reared its head again. So as you know, so yeah, it's been challenging, but that's, I mean, in terms of drugs and alcohol, that didn't come into play until, you know, like I would say I was probably 14, 15 when I started to discover, oh, there's other places to get this vibe. Um, and, uh, Yeah. And then it just progressed, you know, so by the time, you know, I was in Boulder. So at that point I was in my, my mid twenties, something like that. Um, it, it, it was everything, you know, I mean, I was exploding weight wise and I was, I was loaded all the time. I mean, it just, everything came together, you know?
1: Was 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 choosing Boulder drug-related at all because it's such a party town and such like a, a hippie stoner town, whatever?
3: No. You know what's funny is that um, my girlfriend at the time, uh, we were, you know, I went to grad school in Iowa, University of Iowa, and we had, I had graduated, and she was in undergrad, and she was a year behind me, and she was from Chicago. She was from the Chicago area. So we're like, yeah, let's just move to Chicago. And, I got to Chicago, we went like apartment hunting, and I love Chicago, man, I don't know what the hell is wrong with me, but uh, we went to visit a friend of hers, and and, 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 we're having lunch, and I had a complete, crazy, paralyzing anxiety attack, and I'm like, I can't move here, man, I can't, no, 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 this is wrong, this is wrong, and she was just trying to calm me down, and she was like, well, listen, I just spent three years in Boulder, that's a really nice place, you know, and and you may want to think about that, and I was like, yep, that's where we're going. I never saw the place. I didn't know. All I know is it wasn't New York. It wasn't L.A. I didn't have the emotional sort of wherewithal to survive that kind of energy. And I figured, why not? Let's give it a whirl. It was only supposed to be a stopover, man. It was not supposed to be 15 years. But that's thanks to, you know, bottoming, getting sober, and trying to become whole again before I moved someplace else, you know?
1: How tied together was the music and the getting high and the drinking? I mean, they were one, you know?
3: I mean, I, you know, I think this is something that, that, you know, when you hear stories about people getting uh, getting sober, um, it, they tend to disown the whole thing, and which I think is a mistake. And, I, you know... I was an intensely creative person for the most time that I was, that I was getting loaded until obviously there's that tipping point, but you can't function, but, um, but yeah, good stuff came, came of it. And also, you know, as somebody who is, I, I discovered early on in life, that I'm more comfortable on stage than off. Like I'm more home and more myself when I'm on stage and when I'm off and, and what you wind up doing is you, you realize that, that different types of high will keep you there after you leave stage, you know, so that, so the before and the after just, it all just became one thing. But I mean, I think there's a reason why so many artists wind up addicts, you know,
1: I know that, um, You know, I was an amateur – I'm an amateur musician and a songwriter and somebody that always loved it. And um, I know that when I was getting high, writing was way easier for me, like writing songs.
0: Absolutely.
1: Like I didn't have to think about it. I didn't worry about what I was saying or what it meant. And when it came out, I was like, that sounds kind of like what I want it to. And and in sobriety – like I can make podcasts and I can think of ideas and stuff, but I can't write songs anymore because I get hung up on lyrics and shit. And um yeah. do you do you find that was something that happened with you when you got sober in terms of songwriting? A
3: hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean, I I yeah, I, I mean my my songwriting production just fell off the cliff. And and I think that's also tied in, like I I was also an incredibly, when I was loaded, and this is a very common story, but I, you know, when I was loaded, I was the life of the fucking party. I mean, I, I was so comfortable because whatever social situation I was in, I was on stage or I, I, you know, I felt like I was the getting sober. I have never in all my years in and out of, uh, of sobriety been able to get comfortable Without the lubricant, you know what I mean, socially, and I think that goes for the the, the the artistic side of me as well. That whether it's writing music or writing lyrics, I get so in my head, and not in a good way. And back then, it was like whatever came out of me, I considered it to be gold. And honestly, even with the, with the benefit of hindsight, I kind of yeah, I remember the stuff I wrote and that time and it was really good um and but it's hard man i mean it's hard to engage your imagination and your muse in a way that you're not thinking about am i being crazy is this right is this okay all of those little voices which when you're using are silenced you know
1: it's like um, it's like the great graphic equalizer in your brain. Like one thing is up, another thing is down. It's like when you were yeah. when you were active and using in Boulder, was the eating thing out of control, or was it? Yeah, man. Okay, so you were you yeah. were you were going off with everything when you were going off.
3: And and when I got sober the first time, and of course, I made the mistake of not having a sponsor for the first, you know, almost year. Um, and so I just transferred and I stopped drinking and I stopped using drugs and I inflated my, my record weight was 410 pounds. Um, I, I, I was dying. I was dying. I was, I was, I I wound up in the hospital. I wound up, one of the most embarrassing things was getting carted out of my cheap ass apartment like, you know, meaning like the stairs to get there were like almost fire escape. And I had to get carted out of there on a stretcher um, because I was having chest pains. And that's all you got to say when you call. And they're like, oh, don't move. And they had to carry me out of there. But it took like three guys to carry me. It was it, it was quite a while till like I put two and two together. And really, it took me a while. Because honestly, there isn't a ton of overlap between the drug and alcohol community and the eating community. There really isn't those, those programs feel sometimes really mutually exclusive. And it always felt weird to belong to one and and be ashamed of the other, you know? So yeah, no, I, I blew up.
1: When you, when you gained all that weight, did you, um, like, I know that for myself, right? I eat compulsively often and, that the only way that I don't eat compulsively is if I use what I learn in, in 12 step for food, you know what I mean? Like the only way that I can, I can get grounded is by using exactly the same thing that got me grounded, uh, with drugs. Uh, and and like it was, but it didn't come naturally to me, you know, in the first five years that they were connected. How did, how did that work out for you?
3: I, I I just don't think that people get it, that, you can't just put the plug in the jug, you know, you got to, you got to eat, you know, you have to, you have to, in order to apply the principles, you still have to dance with the devil every single day. And, and that is ridiculously hard um, to this day. Like I said, my, this past year has been a real challenge for me. Um, and I, as, as solid as my recovery is, right now, when it comes to drugs and alcohol, I just resist it with food. It's almost like, please don't take away my, my thing. You know, this is my thing. And I'm not doing it consciously. I haven't done it consciously this year, but it's, it's, it's fucking insidious. It really is. Food is a tough
1: one. Let's um, let's let's talk about this for a second, okay? Like I've been trying shit. to diet, <laughs> right? I've been trying to keto. I've been trying to do this, 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 and this, and I can find myself um, sticking to it, you know, for months at a time. And if I break any of it, it breaks down completely. Like the second I yeah. take the morsel of fucking chocolate, I'm like, fuck it, and I eat like there is it's like it's like i i, I just i i really struggle with that um yeah. like moderation like how do you find moderation with it
3: it's i mean look I, I, one of the things that really helped me was um i met my wife my wife is is, is uh, a true animal activist advocate she lives and dies for these guys and she was the one who taught me hey listen what why is it just cats and dogs that deserve your attention and your affection and your advocacy and so she really ushered me into a new way of thinking in terms of what i could do for all animals and part of that was going vegan so as as soon as i went vegan weight just came off me you know so it's it's easier to that degree because my eating is grounded in, you know, my love for animals and not wanting to hurt them. So there's that. But that said, I got trigger foods just like anybody else, man. I know that if I pop open a bag of potato chips, I'm done. It's like you with that piece of chocolate. You, If I open up a bag of potato chips, you can check in on me two months later and I will have gained 20 pounds because it's not just the chips. It's what they represent, you know, and, and it's that, Sneaking, you know, sneaking a bag of chips in my car or, or something like that, making sure it's there. Like you do the same shit that you would do if it was a bottle of vodka that you're just like, do I have my emergency bottle down here? Do I? And, and honestly, there, I'm sure are people listening to this going, oh, please, like you can't compare alcohol to a bag of fucking potato chips. But <laughs> yes, you can.
1: Especially, especially when you're 450 pounds, you know one. I'm
3: saying, man, it, it, it. it, I, I've overdosed numerous times. I've, I've come close to dying from drugs and alcohol. I have come just as close, if not closer, because of what food did to me or what I did with food.
0: Yeah.
1: The way you described it in the book, I thought was incredibly powerful. Where you said, if I gain 60 pounds. I might as well say I'm dead. You know what I'm saying? You were like, if I gained 60 pounds, I might as well gain 200 and it's over. You know what I mean? It's just a very powerful thing to, to hear or to read. And like, you know, and it's funny because today is 420. Today is April 20th, uh-huh,
0: uh-huh, you know, no.
1: <laughs> National Stoner Day. And when I used to smoke weed, I would always like be like every day is 420. Like I don't, you know, totally. I I was a, a very big lover of marijuana. And we have this audience yeah. um, and I'm trying to be incredibly inclusive of everybody in the audience, like people who are like, junkies who smoke weed as part of their recovery or, or meth heads or, or crack heads or whoever and whatever makes them feel okay. Um, I know that if I smoked weed, I, I think it would become, I would do it alcoholically. You know, it's just how I am. Like, And the moderation is so tricky. And I think that's the craziest thing about food addiction is like, you you. it's not, you can't starve yourself, right? You can't say, I'm not going to eat. You can't do that. Right. So like, right. how do those things equate?
3: I mean, and by the way, I, I don't know if you can see me or not anymore. Can you see me?
1: You're frozen, but I see you You look very stoic. There's a, gl- there's a nice good. beam of sunshine. I'm, I'm a
3: stoic for a minute here. My, my, my iPad, which was resting on my dashboard is now got too hot. So now it has to cool down. We're, we're, we're just kind of screwed technically today, but as long as I look stoic, then we're all good.
1: You look good. Um,
3: all right. Well, uh, And your last question was, sorry, I was, I was futzing with my iPad. It was really, it was really
1: just like another look at, at like how moderation serves some drug addicts in recovery. It never served me. I could never use drugs moderately. Yeah, man,
3: there's no way. And I mean, when you think about now with how, and, and I'm with you, man. I mean, if, if, if whatever iteration of weed, works for people you know whether it's you know i mean you know whether it's it's edibles for for whatever if it's cbd whatever the hell it is that i'm sure that's that's fine i i am with you i there's i don't i cannot moderate i i know myself when i go into that place and whether it is drugs or alcohol or food or whatever the hell it is um I am in trouble and there is no, I will go out. And, and, and that has happened because shit snuck up on me, man. I mean, I have not been sober since, um, uh, since Boulder. I mean, I've relapsed a couple of times and, um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it, it's, it's, it's sneaky, man.
1: Totally. Um, what was what was the the worst it got for you with drugs and alcohol? I mean, I was like you in that. Clonopin uh, uh, is a huge part of my story. Like I'm a benzo free. Oh, no
0: way, really?
1: Yeah, like I I used to just like eat clonopin. I, I would say eat clonopin, not take clonopin, because I would just I would eat it whenever I had it, and I would get it every day, and I'd get high dosages, so I could really relate to that part of. Uh, of your experience. But what like I love for Dopey to get the worst of everybody's fucking experience. So what was the worst it was for you in Colorado? Like what was the what was the the bottom of the bottom?
3: The bottom of the bottom for me was the amount of clonopin that I was consuming. You know, I was getting it from multiple doctors. I You know, I I was taking literally, I mean, it could bring down a rhino, the amount I was taking and uh, and that. And I was going through a ton of weed and I was drinking on an average day. You know, you know what the funny thing is, is at at one point I was like, well, you know, I'm just going to drink wine. And And I really I fancied myself some kind of a wine connoisseur. But, you know, it was like, oh, maybe I'll try this Shiraz and see it but of course I would go through three bottles a night. So I, you know, there was that combo, which led me to, um, almost killing myself a few times. And, and, um, my band was in a shambles because I, as sort of the leader of the band couldn't barely function. There are some recordings. Thank God this was all before, like, you know, SoundCloud, Bandcamp, YouTube, that you can't access these recordings, but, I thought I was so on it and you could hear it in my voice, man. I was just detached and slurring and yeah, man, it was, it was a bad time. It was a bad time. And and I think the thing that's, that's so to this day that I work through the shame about is that the animals in my care suffered. Um, you know, I, 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 I put myself in situations that, could have harmed them, and and I still have a hard time. I you know listen all the people that I've made amends to, and all the you know, but you can't really make amends to the animals. So that that made it hard.
1: Well, it's a live it's a living amend. Um It is. It is. Now you grew up. Are you Jewish? I am. So Upper you West Side Jew. Yeah, you're an Upper West Side Jew. You 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 come from the place where anxiety is, is part of our our blood work. Um, <laughs> So like, yeah. I, that's why
3: I, I mean, it's so funny. I don't know if you've watched much, much of Mrs. Maisel, but like the second that show came on, I was like, oh, my God, it is my people. It's the Catskills. It's the Upper West Side. It's, you know, um, it's it, it's Delis. And it's I I was so I was brought back. But yes, that's me.
1: The voices in it. Like, I mean, like, it's exactly what because I mean, when how old are you? I am going to be fifty-five next week. So you're you're a few years older than me. I'm going to be forty-seven, but it's close enough. Um, close enough. So like we get to. I mean, that's what Mrs. Maisel is like. What family parties were when we were kids. Like that's what it. Oh, fe- yeah. That's what it feels like for me. And um and my my drug of choice. You know, it's funny because I became a terrible heroin addict. But whenever it was over, it was the clonopin and the xanax. That um I knew suited me the most, like I pretended weed did it for me, and then I pretended that dope did it for me, but the clonopin and the xanax just treated my neurosis, my neuroses so perfectly that like so perfect. it was just like and you described it in the book so well, like this that you know that when you take that, you will be warm, you will be ready, and you will everything will be okay. Uh, What was the the first time you you stumbled into the land of benzos?
3: Well, and I describe it in the book. And and there are a couple of things, a couple of parts in that. There's three that I can remember in that book that were so hard to write and even harder to record the, the audio for. That was one of them. And because I knew it was so I was really suffering in terms of my mental health. Um, and of course, folks like that, like me, we medicate, we self-medicate, you know, um, and that's what I was doing. And, uh, but it wasn't working and my anxiety and my depression were just so bad. And, um, and so there was this day I was working, I was, a uh, I was a coffee roaster and a barista and I, I, I called and, and I had this emergency stash that my doctor prescribed of of Klonopin. He said, "Just listen. If you if you find yourself in a really bad spot, take this." And I remember I took my coffee break at my coffee job, and I go outside and I call my girlfriend and I said, "Get that stash, bring it over here. I'm 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 going I'm going into the well right now and I I don't I don't this is bad." So she comes over gives me a clonopin, and she sat with me for that half hour or so. And when it hit me, it was like, and, I, and I'm not saying this in any light way. Like, it was like when people say, like, I saw Jesus or whatever. It was, it took it away. And the next thing I remember was looking up and seeing my girlfriend crying because she knew in that moment she lost me told totally. me well enough and she she knew it she knew it and sure enough within a month from then maybe two months she had moved back to chicago it was over so it it was that that was it for me man i found it and i was not going to let it go um so yeah shit is people don't you know maybe now folks are starting to figure it out that you know, heroin gets a bad rap, and for some reason, Klonopin doesn't. But having tried both, let me tell you, I mean, that did it for me, like you're saying, like you're saying. But it was a really hard thing to, I had never really talked about it um, until I had to in the book. Right. Um, and, you know, um, so yeah, yeah, that was that was the first time.
1: The craziest thing with that is because I, I probably bought ninety percent of my drugs, uh, you know, from dealers or on the street or whatever. And whenever I I found myself at a psychiatrist's office and they were writing me a script, I remember feeling so happy, you know, so joyful that this, oh, right. that this doctor was going to give me access to this feeling. And you had two doctors, like. Did, did you feel guilt, or was it just all joy? Like, Or, or did you believe all the joy. hype? Did you believe the hype that it was medicine?
0: I,
3: I, I was... You know, that's a great question, man. I, I mean, there was... Uh, by the way, I'm trying to get you back on Zoom. I don't know if you see me.
0: Oh, I see you.
1: I'm sorry. In. I'm sorry. We're back. Hold on. Here we go. It was exciting.
3: We're, We're almost back.
1: So as a drug user, as a drug user, right, who gets a script for clonopin, like, you know, you're fucking high, right? Like, or, or is it like, isn't it funny when medication gets you high? It's like the funniest thing.
3: I uh, Funniest or funnest? I mean, both. you know, at, at, yeah, both. I mean, I was only aware of what I needed to do to get it. So I, w- I would get this joy because I'd get one over on the doctor's. And and every time I'd fill that script and every time, by the way, there was also getting it past the pharmacist. Because I had to, you know, you know, somehow get it past them as well. And every time I did, man, I was just like, yeah, I did it. You know what I mean? And and then I would go home and I would and I would be I would be OK. I mean. And and I got to tell you, the withdrawals from Klonopin. Were just I should have gone inpatient. And I didn't, but man, I, I mean, I will never forget that. You know that feeling that that when I when I had to kick and um, um, and I was on so much that I had to kick over a period of like three months. Sure. Because they kept saying I was going to go into seizures and whatever. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I I I, I don't have a conscious memory of like a self-conscious memory of like, what am I doing here? It was just, it was just at that point, I was just thrilled whenever I got a fresh bottle, you know?
1: Yes. It's, it's thrilling. And I, I I... I
3: mean, no different from like, I I mean, I remember my dealer, my street dealer at the time, uh, not my doctor, but um, uh, it was the same feeling. I got to hunt that dude down and then you'd have to sit with him and listen to his badass music for like an hour and, and kiss his ass. And so that you can get like the top shelf stuff and not the ditch weed. And like, you know, you know, it, it was the same thing. And you would leave there and you would have your bag and it would be the top shelf stuff. And you go home. And by the way, at that point, I don't share with anybody. I mean, I have my, it was me and my, 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 like sort of running me and it was just us two we would not share people wanted to come over we'd hide it you know it textbook you know
1: i i totally know i, I had so many seizures kicking uh, kicking benzos because i i would take too many and i'd run out and I wouldn't be able to get them. And I would have, I had a million seizures. It sounds like you avoided seizing. It sounds like you had enough clonopin to Isn't avoid. Isn't that
3: funny though? Cause I'm such a good boy when it comes to taking medicine. That's <laughs> as long as they were like, just take this much and it won't kill you. I would take that much, but I would, you know, be looking at the clock. I'd be like, oh, I got three hours. I have to wait three hours. You know,
1: I was that, good. That's awesome. Cause I, I have, I mean, like, my memory is so Swiss cheese probably just because of seizures and benzos. How is your memory of the benzo period? Because it's not good. <laughs> not good. It's not bad. Oh, no, man.
3: There, I, there's about a... And it wasn't even... The benzos weren't the thing that, that absolutely did it. It was. I mean, I was kitchen sink at the time. I was totally into psychedelics as well, um, doing a lot of acid and a lot of, of mushrooms and whatever else, and on top of all that other stuff. There's about a good solid... I would say two year period that you could come up to me and say, don't you remember we did this, we played here and we played in front of a thousand people and and blah, blah, blah. And I would have no memory. Like there's, it's scary. It's scary. There's a couple of years there where I just don't remember much. And it was weird because I'm trying to write this book and I'm trying to come as clean as I possibly can. And you know, my memory was wiped clean. I, I don't, I
1: don't. That's yeah. kind of like, I was like thinking about that. Like, how does he remember everything? Cause I'm trying to like get an idea for a book and I go back in my head and I like, I, it's like white, there's nothing there. And, uh, yeah, it, it's crazy. It's such a weird experience. Uh, another thing that I really enjoyed in the, in your story is when you got sober, that you weren't willing to take clonopin off the table at first, so like, right. like, because it was prescribed and you could, right. I mean, like, so was it a, uh, was it like I'm not letting go of this or this is this is medication? You know what I mean, like.
3: I, I think it, you know, on the conscious level it was the latter, and on the subconscious it was the former because I think one of the most devastating things for me was when I was about six months clean. I take my I taken my six month button and. And I was, and my, and my sponsor, when I finally got a sponsor, was like, dude, you're not sober. And, and I, I can access that feeling today of just having my heart just fall through the floor. But here I thought I had committed myself to a life of sobriety. And he's like, dude, you're absolutely abusing drugs right now. And then you go through that whole, but the doctor, but, you know, and it took me another couple of months, I would say, before I was ready to come clean, to come clean to the doctors. That's a big one. And to come clean, you know, I i, I got into, uh, I got in in the first place because, you know, I, there was a girl I was following who, you know, I, I wanted to, to go out with and she was sober and she said you know i'm not telling you what to do or what not to do i just the one thing i ask you to do is come to a meeting with me so that you could see how i live and and that's when i figured it out and she helped me uh kick the clonopin, but it did take a while man because that old thing that you fall back on there's a script here this is legal Somebody writes this. I take it to the pharmacy. It comes in a little bottle. It doesn't come in a baggie, and 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 I don't have to worry about the cops chasing me. So, hey, this is okay. Well,
1: you know? it's also it it's also like you had anxiety. You know what I mean? Like you suffered from anxiety. I I yeah. suffered from anxiety. The funny thing is, like I still get anxious from time to time now, and I'm sure you get anxious from time to time now. But there's other ways to deal with it. Um, one of my favorite things in the book that really like bugged me out is you kind of describe when you got off the clonopin and you got off of everything, how you connected with the cats like when when that left like and, and like you had psychedelic experiences where you were trying to kind of find this crazy connection, but when you took it all away, it's kind of like what we were saying about songwriting like you can access this sh- one shit when you're all fucked up, but then when you take everything away, you access this other thing
3: right 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 and it's 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 interesting man because i I will never discount the but I consider it to be the power of psychedelics. Psychedelics have a place. They really do. Um, that what well, they did for, for somebody who's not an addict. But um, I once the, the problem was that is that the more I fish around to my comfort sources, the, the, the more debt, because the, the flip side of this anxiety is the, is identifying as an empath, which I do. And I feel things that others are putting out in a way too big way. And it, it messes me up. And, and, but the flip side of that is once I was clean, what the animals were sending me, and I'm not saying this in terms of being an animal communicator or any of that shit. It, it, it's, it, that's not the point. The point is being able to connect being able to connect in the absence of what we're doing, language, you know, spoken language. So, and, and animals know when you're fronting They absolutely know they, they, that's what, what I feel guiltiest about now. You know, when you're working in, in an environment like animal sheltering and animals are dying every single day, and maybe there was something I could have done if I, if that thing that I have was intact Um, which it was, it was totally severed. So it, in the name of that is one of the biggest reasons I got clean because I knew it, I knew that there was this, I think I described, I I haven't read the book in a while, but I I think I described it as like gauze, like there's this gauze between energetically between you and the rest of the world and animals fear you. If that gauze is up, animals will not, they do not suffer fools, you know? So Yeah. That was one of the the earliest signs, you know, besides like counting days and feeling like, you know, good about yourself and getting through the steps and everything, having that back, having that thing back that the cats knew about me to begin with right back in the early cat boy days, having that back and having it even better than I thought it could be, you know, um, was one of the earliest gifts of sobriety that I can access right now.
1: Right on. And, and how connected is, is that with higher power, like this ability to like be this empath that actually, I mean, the shit that you talk about in the book is just incredible. The, the, the Rose, the cat Rosetta stone of, of, I love you to the cat and all that stuff. Like, and I want you to, because like we have a very, very, very cat-loving audience. Every week, every week the show comes out. There's a dude in Iowa who, who every Friday, he puts up a, a picture of his cat and he writes, "Waiting for tonight." And then, you know, fifty people in the Dopey Nation put up pictures of their cats and write, "Waiting, waiting, funny. waiting, waiting, waiting." So, like again, you started. You st- we started in the beginning of the interview. You were talking about. Um, that you didn't identify as a cat person? Like, how did it happen that they started communicating with you? And how did it happen that you were like, I want to read about cat behavior? Like, how does the the rock and roll guy decide he's going to read about cat behavior?
3: Yeah, I never wanted to read about cat behavior. I don't want to read about anything, man. I, I, I'm not that guy. I, and, uh, but it, it, the thing was that, and it was interesting, because you're surrounded by people and I'm not saying this in any negative way about the guys in my shelter, because this was just common in most shelters. They just didn't get cats on, on the same sort of, here's a, here it is on a silver platter that dogs, for the most part, give you. And the fact, so it wasn't me identifying as a cat person. It was me identifying that this was a gift. Not, no, I'm not saying that I have a gift. I'm saying the gift was that they picked me and 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 i do think that that has a lot to do yes it's the empath thing but it's also the thing that i thought that made me a good writer uh and a good performer a good singer was because i had a nice sort of direct line to some place it's hard i don't know what it is but whatever it is they picked me and and i didn't want them to die and that And I didn't know shit about what made them tick in a a more sort of, you know, physiological, biological way. And that got me into reading because there really wasn't anybody for me to ask, you know? Um, And then the the great thing was because all I know is that I'm an artist, I brought that to the party. And I was just like, well, it's like you were saying about when, you know, when you were most in touch with with your songwriter, no matter what came out, you're like, it's good, you know. I was able to basically access that part of me, bring it to the cat world, and nobody was there to tell me I was wrong. You know, if it worked, it worked. It worked. So, um, God, I don't even know what, what you. I don't
1: even know what you asked me. I just went off. That's okay. <laughs> I, I think that's. I mean. I do
3: have to say though that I that I and I'm sure you you have this as well, and I'm sure a lot of the guys in the nation will say this, that it was the animals in their lives that kept them from killing themselves. And, you know, that relationship where they are wholly dependent on you, the idea that I would kill myself unintentionally and, and my cats... Benny the cat in the book would wind up in the shelter and that thought of that devastated me and I, I think that I've heard that story especially since I wrote the book and it was an unintended gift that all of a sudden addicts were coming out of the woodwork saying yeah I yeah that's my story too um but I think that there's this I think you know in a lot of ways it you know, the flip side of saying we're anxious people is that we are in a way connected to the bigger sort of cosmic pathway and it's too much and we shut it. You know, it's like, you know, anybody who's been on a bad acid trip and you have that like moment where the seesaw just goes and, and that door that was open now becomes scary, you know? Um, it's like yeah, I'm, I'm I'm talking about my neck right now man i'm
1: just I'm, no you're talking about sensitivity to the infinite right you're talking about being sensitive to that ridiculous force of nature that makes you want to get into a blanket and take Klonopin and smoke weed and and shoot heroin and be safe absolutely and then absolutely. and then yeah. and then, how to live with uh having none of that shit, and then the the magic power that kind of really manifested in you. And I say magic power because it's pretty magical what you do. You know what I mean? Like, it's pretty magical. Like, I, I watched your show, and just seeing the way you kind of approach an animal, it's pretty fucking magical and cool. Like, And I know that there's probably, like, a seed of it was the- theater-based and then coupled with psychedelics and then coupled with recovery, and you get this whole recipe of, of like, connection. And it's pretty fucking – It's it's magically – Cool. You know what I mean? Like,
3: Thank you, man. yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of the best experiences I've had sober. Um, I mean, I love my, my TV show again, a huge gift. But um, when I started going out and doing my sort of one man show in theaters, we got shut down last year, but we were doing it throughout 2019, and we're probably going to do it again next year. But um, it was just basically. Telling my story, and then showing how you can absolutely do anything that I do. And one of the things I was saying was that because I always had this, I still have imposter syndrome. I wake up and I'm like, I don't, I don't have the letters after my name. I haven't gone to school for this shit. I, I don't. And but the thing that I could bring to the party was as a right as a songwriter, as a, a theater artist, or whatever. The one thing that we're really, really good at is seeing people, making up a story about them, making it stick. And probably you've got a little bit of their life right, you know, by the time you translate it to something else. And that is what I brought to the cats. I sat with them and I, and I let them tell their stories. And that was, that was it. I would not, I mean, God, man, the universe puts you in the right place at the right time. And I believe that now taken me a long time <laughs> I know what <laughs> I you mean
1: I struggle with that I have two more I have a couple more questions I'll, I'll go through them yes, as quickly sir. as I can the first one is you wrote this beautiful book about your relationship with your cat about the relationship with drugs and alcohol and addiction and sobriety and the relationship uh with you and your profession and then after the book came out you relapsed what did the relapse look like how did it happen
3: um yeah and I've relapsed twice.
1: So tell us um, about relapse. It, it's good. Relapse stories are really, really important and good.
3: It was really, I got to say though, man, it really, and I've never told anybody this, but it really devastated me because I felt like I told my story in that book. And, and I thought that I, and and now in looking back at it, I was like, fuck, man, I, I, I made it into a fairy tale and now I got it, you know, and I felt obligated to tell people who, who whether they were in the recovery community at large or just my audience in general about relapse, because I, I needed to sort of undo what I thought was like, I didn't want anyone to read that book and be like, oh, well, this is how you do it. And once you do it, you've done it and you're good. Yay. Happily ever after. And the, the bottom line is that I I've been dealing with chronic pain or I, I have been for many years, the entire run of my show. Um, my back was broken and it just kept getting worse. And, you know, once one thing in your back is broken, all the other stuff breaks, you know, and I didn't have the time cause the recovery time from the surgery that I needed was like six months. And I'm not making excuses at all. I, I just, I started to rely on, on, Painkillers of all stripes, and when I and then it there came that point again where if I wasn't getting enough, you know, there was a guy over here who had this, or you know, you can get perk on the you can get Percocet on the street just as easily as from a doctor's office. You know, I was getting stuff that was hospital grade. I don't, anyway, um, both times I relapsed, it was just me starting with just really needing to kill pain so that I could operate. Um, And then it became my addict, you know, suddenly I'm sneaking around. Suddenly I'm not telling my wife or my shrink or my sponsor how many I'm taking. And, 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 you know, once I got called out and once I called myself out and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was both times. It was—it was—it uh, was various painkillers, but Percocet was really the thing that, taken in enough quantity, did what I needed it to do. So, um, yeah. Um, but I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm fortunate in that I never completely pushed the recovery community to the side. I always, if I wasn't at meetings, I still I still kept something going. And then uh, at, at, during my first relapse, I reached out to someone who I wanted to be my sponsor. I didn't have one at the time. He said yes and saved my ass because I wouldn't have done it. I, I would have just kept going you know, so.
1: when you when your relapse is like pain based, right? and you and it starts with again medication like how do you know when you cross the line like does that protect the relapse at first or is it the same kind of story as the clonopin basically
3: it, it for me i i have a really hard time holding up the mirror i mean i i when i'm in it 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 will take somebody else to It was like my my original sponsor saying, dude, you have to reset your sobriety date. And I fought him, you know, and I fought him. And it took other fellows to to call me out. And then I finally stopped fighting. It was the same thing with, you know, I I was hiding pills from my wife. My wife is a total normie. My wife doesn't, I mean, she does now. She didn't understand. And when she realized I was hiding it and called me out and yeah, I knew I had to do something, you know, so, but, but it's because I have a bit of a, you know, community around me at that point when, when you're, I'm killing pain here. I'm not using, I can't function. I can't, I can't. I can't do my work. I can't get on an airplane. I can't do. I can't funk. I can't sleep. You know, I I needed double fusion. I needed two fusions done in my back, and I thought that gave me an absolute visa to do whatever the hell I wanted to do when it came to pain meds. Um, but I, yeah, I, it it took. I, I don't. I cannot be trusted. You know, I mean, I had finally had the surgery a year ago last week and um, and it's a beast. I mean, that that surgery was a beast and it's six months of recovery and I was on everything, Um, but I did it in the most sober way that I could do it. My wife, you know, my wife dishes out the meds. I don't have access to anything or didn't. Um, I outed myself in meetings to my sponsor, to whatever. Um, it was a weird time though. I'll tell you this last year has been a weird one. Um, you know, you get high, you know, you feel high, uh, while the, while you're also killing pain and relaxing muscles and doing whatever. And, and it doesn't feel like the most sober thing in the world, but you know, I'm, I'm off all that shit
1: now But it's so much there though there's so much stuff right there that you just said to me like number one i'm jealous that you broke your back that you could take pain pills blah blah, blah. Right? that's number one totally. right number one i'm jealous number two it's like you say you had to get rid of your <laughs> you had to get rid of your clean date and i'm like what's and then my first reaction is well it doesn't matter because it's it's where we sit in the universe but you're, it's like ego and pride and we hold on to this thing and we earned it and you don't want to give it away and it and it, it's just as meaningful as it is meaningless and for me like my ego is totally tied up in my clean date you know what I mean if like my sponsor totally. you know and like that must have been really hard and like it's easy it's really easy to like walk walk the walk when your back doesn't break like that's how my partner died like my partner died because he, he was uh, doing fucking karate to impress his girlfriend, and he tore something in his back, and he wound up relapsing on pain medicine, which led him straight to everything to everything, yeah, yeah. which is why you yeah. talking about your relapse is so important because it saves people 's lives because and the, and then being honest and and giving up your clean date and starting over it's like it's it saves people's lives and it saves your life to be accountable it 's a real thing
3: yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I got to say, at, and, and I know that we're short on time, but I I, I am in a spot right this moment, and God knows there's been wreckage over the past year. I mean, for that six months after the surgery, for four of them, I was, I was on a lot of stuff, and I got off it in, in the right way, totally under supervision, and got really, really depressed. Um, also because I can't I, mean, I Without travel, I feel like my legs have been cut off. I mean, or whatever, and and I ate and I gained weight, you know, and all that. But that said, my connection to the principles and the power of the twelve steps right now is—and I'm gonna cry just even thinking about it—is stronger than it has ever been. Um, I get it. I am now 20 years in and out of these rooms and I finally fucking get it. I can't believe it took me this long. Um, But I know that as long as I stay in it, as long as I stay in the steps, as long as I stay connected to alcoholics and addicts, I am going to be all right, or at least today.
1: Totally. Totally, and I appreciate that. Now I'm going to do something that's fucked up, and I hope you can handle it. Okay, I have a, I have a, I have a cat problem, and I just oh, are you serious? I, it's real quick. Okay, we we got this cat. Oh we got this cat. We had another cat, and the cat had to leave because we were letting it be indoor/outdoor, and it got attacked by raccoons, and so we gave it to my my in-laws because it was spraying the basement. It couldn't stop spraying the basement, and my in-laws needed a therapy cat, and that worked out fine. And we, got this, and we got this kitten, okay, and we went on vacation as soon as we got the kitten and we didn't take the kitten with us. And the in-laws visited and the kitten started spraying our bed, okay? And so what we decided to do was we would lock the kitten in the closet. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We didn't lock the kitten. I'm kidding. I'm sorry. Uh, we, we, decided, we decided we were going to keep the, the bedroom shut. And, and the kitten never sprayed anywhere else. And we we got some of the aromatherapy stuff. We did everything we could do, and, and and we we treated the bed and we power washed everything. Whenever that door opens, the cat needs to spray our bed. What the fuck do we do?
3: That's a short question. That's a little question. When you want to come in, that's I'll fly you. Right there. I'll, that's I'll that's get you TV
1: some. Show. I'll fly you in and I'll get you some vegan pastrami. What do you say? There-
3: there you go, man. Seriously, that's all it would take, man. I, I mean, I, uh, I would say this. How old is the kitten now?
1: I think she's like two or one, one and a half, two. Oh,
3: oh she's not a kitten anymore. Okay. Um,
1: maybe she's one. Then, Let's say maybe, she's one, Jackson, one. I think she's one.
3: I mean, the thing is that, that she probably, you know, she probably was scared um, when you guys left, and your scent is stronger in the bed than it is any place else in the house besides maybe the couch, right? So those two places where we tend to be yes. sedentary, you know. And so it's almost this sort of I call it the back end of the compliment. It's sort of this like, hey, we belong together, you know, I mean I, I get comfort by mingling our sense. And it's something that, you know, as I was saying before about how food was the primal for me, that spraying for her is the primal now. You know, it's that that if I feel anxious I have to compliment the sense. So the idea here is this. you got to get her back in that bedroom in a controlled way. You don't do it by just opening the door and letting her go in there and because you know what she's going to do. She's going to spray. So you would do things like using play um, by leading her with a toy through the rest of the house into the bedroom, out of the bedroom, and normalize the, that. And it's not about the bedroom itself now. It's about the boundary. It's about that doorway. And so you normalize that action of going Mm. in and out having her catch the toy on the bed praising her for that ending those play times in a nice meal and and the meal happens in the bedroom just doing things that that she can reassociate what it is to feel safe in that sort of the seat of the whole territory um but doing it in a way where you control the ins and outs, so you're just not setting her up for failure and setting yourself up for having piss on your bed
1: you're amazing. You're an amazing man. Amazing. I really, really, I cannot thank you enough for, for giving us your time.
3: Honestly, really wonderful talking to you, man. This is the first uh, chance I've had, honestly, to, to talk in a dedicated way about, uh, about addiction um, for a larger audience. So thank you for that.
1: So that was Jackson Galaxy. And my dad didn't get to hear him, but he was great. Uh, and I need to apologize that um, there were so many beeps and shit on the show. I, god damn it! <laughs> I am prepared to use the new gear. Yes, I get the irony that the phone rang <laughs> while I was talking about, about all the-, the
2: fucking noises. Yes, I un- and the cops usually are I, I get blamed for the noises.
1: Oh, yeah, that was the thing, is that my dad was right next to yeah. the
2: telephone. Why don't you explain how that worked? Well, when when David was doing the interview with Jackson Galaxy, I knew that he didn't want me to listen to the interview, but I also knew how upset he gets when the phone rings. So I sat in a different part of the apartment, and I had the phone near me, and bingo, sure enough, it rang, and then I turned it off immediately. Then no one even heard it. I don't think it interfered with the program at all.
1: You know, one thing I didn't ask him that I found fascinating is he has this way of communicating with cats. Yeah, that's amazing. He does this thing where he gets close to the cat and he thinks, I love you, and blinks slowly, and the cat blinks back. Wow. And that's Dopey Nation. I should have had him explain this to you. If you're having a hard time communicating with your cat, go slow up to the cat and think, I blink, love, blink, you. Blink yeah, that's and, and really mean it, and the cat will know what you're telling them. Isn't that incredible, Dad? That
2: sounds more than incredible. You don't believe that it? That sounds
1: wacky to you me. You don't believe to the feline hippie <laughs> mind melt?
2: No, no, but go for it. Yeah, you give it a shot.
1: Well, I, I I think you will love Jackson Galaxy. He He's a self proclaimed food addict as well. Oh, um, he's overweight. I don't, he's, doesn't, he's not overweight now, but he oh. was up to 450 pounds and he wow. had the gastric bypass surgery. Wow. Wow. So, uh, you want to read an email? Sure. All
2: right. This well, is... Wait, from, is this a good one or a bad one? This is a good one. Oh, okay. You, I think you, you can you're not gonna. emails you're, and reviews. Oh, okay. This is an email. Yeah. All right. I got it. I, listen, I'm, I have trouble with reviews and emails.
1: This is from the woman... Who coined the phrase,
2: alt-recovery. Oh, is she write a new one? Is it a new one? New one. That's huge. How long is this thing? It's not that long. Just read this it. This is from Jammy... This has been spinning around in my head for months now. Trying to gather the fragments and tie them all together was a challenge. Until I heard Joe Schrank say that Doby Nation was a soft place to land. Meg Keeney pointing out that we don't all have the same level of addiction was another that got the wheels turning. To have watched it grow has really warmed my heart. Our tribe of misfits with leaders from so many recovery angles. The heart seems to be more like the four agreements than the 12 steps. I think in alt-recovery, we should track the time of the journey and not restarting the clock for... Bumps? What's that day? Bumps. For bumps, or not starting the clock, clock because of MAT.
1: I if, think you should also not restart the clock for bums,
2: too. Okay. In, and by the way, you're going to have to tell me what all this means after I read it. Okay, okay? we could decipher it afterwards. Yes, please. In abstinence based programs, relapse is considered after one use. In July of last year, listening to my favorite expert, Dr. Nzinga, She breaks down the the medical definition for relapse, and it is much kinder. At the time, I felt it could be very dangerous for some people to hear. Upon re-listening to the episode of In Recovery, How to Avoid Pain Meds, I encourage everyone to look up the 11 criteria for diagnosis of substance use disorder. If you meet two of the criteria, it is considered a relapse. Recovery is a seed that gets planted and it grows, sometimes without you knowing it's happened. As Dopey Drez says, fuck shame, dust yourself off, be honest with another addict, get to the root, continue the journey, don't reset your recovery clock, reset an abstinence clock if you keep one, but more than anything, be kind to yourself." The best lessons are sometimes learned the hard way. Growth is painful and beautiful. Keep going. As far as the lady in New Hampshire who never said Vanguard but coined alt-recovery goes, I have exited my treatment program and am less than two weeks away from making the jump. I was only encouraged to do so by my therapist and not the prescribing doctor. Unfortunately, these programs have a bottom line. Another thing I would change—I wish I would change—dopey the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb ship. Rope this dope. I have so much love for the dopey nation. Stay strong and fucking toodles for Chris.
1: And that's Jamie. Now, what are your questions?
2: Uh, there's, there's so many questions. There's, what are they? There's, there's, well, there's so many questions. So. Is Jamie the woman who came up with the idea of Alt Recovery? She named
1: it Alt Recovery. Right. And the
2: idea of Alt Recovery seems to be a brilliant idea, but she came up with the name Yes, Alt Recovery. All right. So here, who is Meg?
1: Meg does the Addictionary podcast. Right. If, I don't think the Addictionary podcast still exists, but that's something that Meg said. Or maybe it does. Meg is on and off with the Addictionary podcast. She says that pointing out that we don't have all the same levels of addiction was another thing that keeps the wheels turning. That's something that Meg said.
2: So what's what's
1: Four Agreements? Four Agreements is a book called The Four Agreements. It's a beautiful book. You want to read it? Some New Age spiritualism stuff. I got a book club. It's very good. Very good book. All right, so what do you get from this email?
2: I like hearing from Jamie. What do I right. what, what do you get? From I mean, how is she? I mean, cuz I didn't she's, understand you know, the, you know, the, the last I part. think she's
1: about to get off Suboxone, make the jump off Suboxone? Is that what
2: she meant? Okay. Uh,
1: or marijuana or neither or both or something. She's very vague. I think Jamie's going to jump off Suboxone and perhaps marijuana. I think Jamie's point, my favorite part of Jamie's point is that recovery can come to somebody um kind of in an unexpected way and it can grow without even knowing it's growing and like if you relapse that doesn't mean that the the thing that you learned in your recovery is taken away just because your abstinence was no
2: it's a very positive absolutely yeah
1: okay what do you get from this
2: thing I, w- I was re- trying to, re- by the way, you didn't comment that I read it very well.
1: You didn't read yeah, it that well.
2: I I, read it. I I was trying so hard to concentrate on reading it slowly. That you I didn't understand anything she was saying. But she's, she's okay, though, right now, in terms of what you're thinking. You're saying she is on her own alternate road for recovery. That's pretty much what she's saying.
1: She's saying that she's working very hard right. to have a road to recovery. Okay. And I think, that's, I think it's awesome. And I, I, and I think it's funny that she said, I bet you she did never say Vanguard. Because that's something I always tell people, that, that Jamie said that we are in the Vanguard of the alt-recovery movement. And yeah. she's like, I never said Vanguard. But I say she did, because that sounds better to me. Do you like Vanguard?
2: No, it sounds like a good word. Yeah. yeah me too. And by the way, we own the alt which I have no clue what that means except that, that I own it.
1: Well, we have some people working on some art for the alt-recovery movement. Maybe there'll be an alt-recovery movement mural. What do you think about that? What about a website? I thought you bought the
2: website. I know, but there isn't any website. There are
1: doctors Just out the in name. the field at this moment thinking about how we should concoct uh, an alt-recovery book.
2: We are thinking, we are, the wheels are turning. The idea is that there well, are... I will be very happy to donate my altrecovery.com website to the alt recovery movement. Well, that's terrific. <laughs>
1: the idea is that there's a million ways into addiction yeah. and there are an infinite number of ways out of it. But the most important way out of it is just doing something. Exactly. It doesn't matter. It's like Jamie is obviously incredibly active and getting out of it. If you are active in getting out of it, you are part of the alt-recovery movement. If you are a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, you are a part of the alt-recovery movement. If you are running marathons instead of fucking getting high, you are a member of the alt-recovery movement. If if you want to be a member of the alt-recovery movement and you're doing anything to put your recovery ahead of your addiction, then you're a part of it. the The scary part is when you... Are using and you say you're part of the alt recovery movement. That's when it gets scary, and that's when I get worried that people
2: uh, will die. You know what I mean? That's like that's exactly what I was going to say. What that she's pretty much saying. All right, if you re- relapse, just do it. And you start start again. But we got this problem with fentanyl. Is that it, that relapse could be the end?
1: Well, and obviously, I mean, if you die, you don't get to do the alt recovery exactly,
2: movement. Exactly.
1: Now, yeah. in other word, another. news, in yes. other, Moving on. Now, people have joked in the past about uh, doing perhaps an Alan on podcast. It's not.
2: It's not happening. Let's let's put that to rest. Well, it's not, it's not happening. It's not. And I like it. It's Al is on. How do you say it? It's not Al is on. <laughs> no. The
1: idea is because there's a program. Alan
2: on. Yeah, Alan.
1: You like it as oh, Alan, Alan on. on. But the, the play on words is that there's a, a fellowship called Allen on. I know that. I That's the play on words. I, I knew that. So if we're going to do a little Allen on bit, Allen on yeah. bit, let's, do, let's start with uh, the most important thing, which is Allen on the Knicks. Oh, they're doing great. How about yesterday? A super overtime win. How about, what do you think about Derek Rose?
2: He is doing very well. Steady. Very How about well. fucking Payton? Can't you see how uh, you see that in the fourth quarter? I, I dropped him. I, I picked up book six threes last night because Burke's out.
1: The thing about Peyton, he gets to the basket, he can't finish. He just can't put the ball in the hoop. Why not? He also does a lot of stupid fouls.
2: However, he's creative getting to the basket. He is super getting to the basket. What, he can't put the ball in the basket once he gets there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, no, I'll tell you, they're doing very well. They in really the ba- are. Okay. We're talking
1: about the last time the Knicks were exciting was probably
2: 1999. Yeah, a so, long time ago.
1: Has it ever been as exciting as this in the past 20 years, 21 years?
2: Well, remember Linsanity?
1: Sanity was very exciting.
2: Yeah, yeah. So how do you compare this with Linsanity? Well the team wasn't that great with Lynn Sanity this, and this team we have to see what's going to happen they are still missing important ingredients they really do need a point guard and they really do need a real center though Noel and uh Taj Gibson they're doing a good job of filling in right now i don't think robinson is going to be as good as anybody thinks he's going to be i don't think so either yeah. who do you who do you i mean like I hear Dopey Nation, do you think Dopey Nation cares about this? I thought Clint Capella
1: was a pretty major oh, center. He
2: can't hit a free throw, though.
1: I know, you, you always hate that, but he I had 23 that.
2: rebounds. Oh, no, he was, he was unstoppable, but he can't hit a free and throw. And he has that
1: stupid blonde patch in his hair. Yeah, is that real or is that fake? It's definitely not real. Oh, okay.
2: Now, al It's not happening. There isn't any al By the way, did you get a bad review recently?
1: You're dying to read the bad review. No, I'm just,
2: I wanted to comment. uh, We're talking about the bad review that I want to read, not the bad review that you want me to read.
1: You don't want to read it just for old time's
2: sake? I'm not reading the bad review. Why don't you like reading that review? Because the review says things that are absolutely true and things that are absolutely false, and they put it in the same review, and I do not want to conflate them. It's a good word conflate. Yeah. I, mean, I just made that up. Actually, it's a real word. That
1: is the proper use of the word conflate. Oh, no, good. Hold on. The internet here is so slow. Um, here we go. Here we what, go. That's that's here, interesting. Read, read,
2: read this one. Which one? That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right, right. You, wanna, you wanna read do you wanna read uh the new bad review? Yeah, well, that's the one that I think yeah. you can have a good discussion about. Oh, all right. Host blows <laughs> one store. That's
1: host awesome. blows.
2: Is that, is that his name? No, that's <laughs> his, that's his description. <laughs> uh, by VC at zero. Okay. Yes. Pretty. This is what he writes. Pretty much getting behind Dave, trying to not have to work or do a real job. Gross. All right, so David just told the story of getting up at four in the morning, five in the morning, driving into Manhattan, walking all the way down to Katz's, and that's one of his jobs. And the other job is the amount of effort he's putting in to create dopey. And for.
1: Hold up, hold up, before you say another up, word. See, I'm getting angry. What I want to know is what do you think uh, motivated this guy to put this review up? I don't know. I didn't even
2: think about that. Why would he put it up? I don't know.
1: I work very hard on Toby. Exactly. I think it's because I say in the in the in the ads, help me not work. Yeah. <laughs> I say help me not have a job. But the truth is, I kill myself for both jobs. Exactly. I, I surely do.
2: Yeah. And, maybe you should reword that. And I before. think well, what's the what's the proper way to word it? Uh, Give support, me money. Support my creative uh, vision. My creativity. Yeah. Not because I want to quit working.
1: The truth it's, is, I don't want to work anymore. I, I mean...
2: This is work. I, but not... But He's, you know what? Isn't there an...
1: Exp- yes. So,
2: if you enjoy what you do, you've never worked a day in your life. Exactly. Yeah.
1: But the truth is, I enjoy both my jobs. But I would really like to get... You certainly
2: complain a lot about this.
1: I enjoy complaining too. Yes. If you can pay me to complain, that would be the sweetest <laughs> job of the, all. That's
2: a great job.
1: Um. So I say VC at at zero blows sir you blow i don't know why you did this i don't know why you wanted to come down on my fucking head it takes
2: it, look it takes a heck of a lot of effort to put groovy things but i'm going uh, to tell, uh, tell you this
1: i'm going to tell you this it is a lot of work but more interestingly enough that's not a real grammatically correct phrase well,
2: that i'm going to go you before more yeah.
1: interestingly <laughs> enough don't i you know what i find really interesting is that i didn't get angry
2: about this review. You always get angry with a one-star review. I thought it was funny. <laughs> Host Blows. I, mean, I
1: really kind of thought it was funny. And like, pretty much about I was
2: upset with that review. I mean, I didn't think that was very nice. You I, you love the bad reviews. No, I don't. He, he
1: calls me, he goes, oh, Dave, he goes, you, see, you see the new review. <laughs>
2: well, I knew because I'm always afraid that you're going to get angry and start saying terrible things to the person, which I don't want you to say. You like this guy. I don't,
1: I, it's not that I like him. I, I think that I've gotten to a new place in my spirituality and my recovery, and that it is not getting me upset. And you know what I'm practicing right now? I'm practicing acceptance. That VC at at O can think I blow. That's very...
2: That's That's his business. That's pretty... That's amazing. It's not my (laughs) business. This is a major breakthrough for you.
1: I know how much work I do. Yeah. And there's nothing I can do for VC at O, except pray for him, which I will. Namaste, VC at O. Do you know what namaste means, Dan? Tell me. It means the light in me recognizes (laughs) the light... In V.C. at O. Should,
2: I'm not going to say anything like putting my fingers in my mouth. <laughs> I'm not
1: so you're, the light in you does not recognize the light in V.C. at O.? Uh,
2: I recognize that he's not understanding how much effort it takes to be creative. And if you don't want to call it work, okay, don't.
1: And then this guy, Gerd, which probably means oh my God, says, God damn it, one star review. Dave, get your audio figured out. I swear to God, I felt like I was listening to the podcast from your molar.
2: Yeah, there, I mean, there was one episode, I don't know when he listened, where the the, the sound was bad for, a, I don't know if it was the whole thing or just part of it. No,
1: just the ads were bad. And maybe. That was maybe. it. Now, more importantly, Dad, before we go, Yes. I like it, for
2: whatever reason, when you criticize the show. Have you been listening to the show? Yeah, you're putting on so much content because you're not working. I mean, you're putting on so much content. Now we've taken a break. We're not doing well, that then anymore. I, I caught up. I caught up with uh, with uh, Rich Roll. What's his you name? You listen to Rich Roll. Right. How come you? How does he earn a living nowadays? I mean, what does he do? He's, a, uh,
1: He's an author. He's a professional vegan, professional athlete.
2: He can't be a, you don't. Earn money being an Iron Man athlete. This is
1: not criticizing me. So you're no, saying why doesn't question. Rich why doesn't Rich Roll get a job? Is that what you're saying? I'm
2: asking that a, a good interviewer would have said. By the way, you, that <laughs> is your
1: question about every person on the show. Yeah. How
2: is this guy making a living?
1: That <laughs> is that is my dad has three questions. So does this guy have a family? That's question number one. Question number two is so how is this guy making a living? Um, I don't know what question number three is.
2: I don't know either. But the, all right. So all right. So you're so,
1: saying my interview wasn't good because I didn't ask did, how wait he generates a minute, hold
2: money. On. I, I remember Dopey Nation. I haven't. I didn't listen to the what's his name, Jackson Galaxy. Did you ask him how he got his name? No. Ha <laughs> ha!
1: So what, I know. Listen, <laughs> listen, Mister on podcast. You, you. Why don't you start a, a podcast? And the first question is: So, how do you make a living?
2: No, I'm not going to do that. Now. So, what's your you family to, life like? It's pretty good. Anyway, listen. I'm not criticizing, but you asked me to criticize. So, so from
1: now on, I'm going to try to ask every no. guest.
2: Only if it's appropriate. The guy tells you he did five of these incredible races in five days. It's like unbelievably amazing. Five and seven days. Okay, five and seven days. It's amazing. Absolutely. And he writes a book about it. He has three books. He has a company. Five
1: kids. He has a company that makes cheese out of nuts.
2: Oh, then that's that's how did we and he
1: sells. He has a a uh, what's the word when you make your a proprietary blend of. Of
2: so that's how he's that's how I think he's he has there. something
1: And he has a podcast A big podcast
2: So then Not a little
1: rinky dink shit like Dopey He has a big podcast All right The Rich Roll podcast
2: Did you say any of this in the interview? Well, we talked about his podcast And his book But not his proprietary I mentioned it Oh, all right. Well, it sounds like I, you aren't listening. I wasn't very well. paying attention.
1: So that's your criticism. I should ask about money and family. No, what else? that is not my what else criticism. Else you got?
2: No, that's not my I, And you certainly, you, I keep telling you, you shouldn't curse so much. If you're ever going to be on real radio, you're not allowed to curse, I don't think.
1: So you're saying now I should stop cursing?
2: Well, and when it's appropriate, I guess you can, but. Most of the time, you should, especially if you get angry at people, you shouldn't do that I didn't get angry at anybody. No, you were really good today. Um, it's amazing. One, two one-star reviews, and you didn't go bonkers. Do you want
1: to read a nice review before we go? Uh,
2: is there one out there? Yes. Here. 10-10, uh, five-star? Yeah. By Liley, 137 uh, Oh, yeah, well... I heard episode 143 the first time I went to treatment in January of 2019 and broke my heart and fell in love all in one. I've had a rough in and out of recovery, but since getting clean again, I've started listening from episode one. I'm currently on episode 96 and have 414 days clean. I listen to Dopey every day, and I'd like to say it is a large part of my recovery I love what you're doing. Keep it up and stay strong, Dopey Nations. Toodles, Lens L. All right, That's beautiful. nice. All
1: right, so Dopey Nation, if you're uh, listening, leave a five-star review. Write something nice. Maybe my dad will read it. Don't write anything mean.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's he's being good. Namaste,
1: but... <laughs> Dopey Nation. The light in me recognizes the light in you. I just I would love. In listen, if you wrote a bad review, write an email. Because I'm very curious, like, why you did it? What were you thinking about? What possessed you? Yeah, maybe there's
2: constructive things.
1: No, no, I don't want to know about that. (laughs) I don't want any constructive. Nothing constructive. No, I just want to know why you would leave a one star review. More importantly, I would like uh, crazy, dopey stories. I don't want constructive criticism. I want crazy, funny, dopey stories or explanations
2: why you leave bad reviews. Anything you want to add, Dad? No, no, no. I, I think it's been very nice. I hope the Dopey Nation is, is good out there. And uh, stay strong. And uh, toodles for Chris.
1: Yeah, stay strong, Dopey Nation. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Cormac, for all of his tireless work in Reddit. The Reddit world has gone a little bit slow. So that's my challenge to the Reddit community. Otherwise... Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris.
4: I wanna take a walk around the world I wonder would it do me any good Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood But I wanna be good so bad I wanna be so good so bad, so bad I wanna be good so bad bad desires all i ever had and i want to take a ride up in the sky watch this airplane just pass me by and i want to see a lear jetliner take a dive just to show all of these people what it means to be alive but i want to be good so bad Wanna be so good, so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desires all I ever had, and my shadow's getting smaller and smaller, and it's time to where I stand. Shadow's getting smaller and smaller, and it's time i city far behind I'll take the high road However far it winds Because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find And I wanna be good, so bad Wanna be good, so bad, so bad I wanna be good, so bad Bad desire's all I ever had Damn it! All these suckers make me mad, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had, and these suckers make me mad, and I want to call my dad, and it's all I ever had, 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 and these suckers make me mad, and it's all I ever had, and I want to call my dad, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had.